morning, church. If you know it, say it with me. We are the body of Christ, called to be Jesus in every neighborhood in San Antonio and beyond. Well, I found an email was sent to me yesterday, a true story. I want to read it to you because it uh, fits the theme of our Romans Road study. The person writes, I was driving when I saw the flash of a traffic camera. I figured that my picture had been taken for exceeding the limit, even though I knew I was not speeding. Just to be sure, I went around the block and passed the same spot, driving even slower, but again, the camera flashed. Now I began to think that this was quite funny, so I even slower, I drove even slower as I passed the area once more, but the traffic camera again flashed. I tried a fourth and a fifth time with the same results, now laughing as the camera flashed while I rolled past at a snail's pace. Two weeks later, I got five tickets in the mail for driving without a seatbelt. Turn to your neighbor and answer this question. Was the driver a man or a woman? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but the women shout out, that was a man. I didn't hear any guy say anything. That is hilarious. What's up with that? Well, today we continue our journey down the Romans Road. And we've come today to mile marker number four. So far what we have learned in our journey at mile markers number one and two is that we can enter into a relationship with God, a right relationship with God, only by placing our faith in the work of Christ on the cross. This is the only way across this great gulf of the Romans road into a right relationship with him. We have also learned at mile marker number three that we can now actually grow in our relationship with God in a major way by the work of the Holy Spirit that has been deposited in us. Now today we come to mile marker number four on the basis of all the change that has happened in our life Paul is going to ask and answer the question at mile marker number four what is my purpose? Do I have a new direction in my life than the direction I was heading on the other side of the Romans road now that I belong to God? Is there a new direction that I am to head? Do I wake up each day with new drivers, new priorities that give me indicators about whether I should turn to the right or to the left to stop or to move forward? Well, if you want to know the answer to that question, grab your Bibles in hand and hold them high above your head. And uh, let's say this prayer that we've been saying every weekend as we've been studying the book of Romans together. Say it with me. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We take this journey together down the Romans road knowing the destination is you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Now, in this series, 12-week series, this will be the only time that I have the luxury of only looking at two verses, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. Why, you ask? Here's the answer. If you get the message of these two verses right in your life, everything else in your life will fall into place. Let me say it again. If you get every, if you get these two verses right in your life, everything else in your life 
will fall into place, I promise. Look at chapter 12 in verse 1. Paul begins simply with the word, therefore, suggesting to us that what he is about to say has been built on the argument of what he has just said. But I don't believe it's just the last paragraph of chapter 11. Rather, I believe that Paul is saying, based upon the argument that I have established in chapters 1 all the way through chapter 11, what I'm about to say to you is based upon that argument. Then he says the words, I urge you. Now in Paul's language, the Greek language that he was writing in, these are very strong words. We might say it this way today. I am on my knees begging you. I am on my knees begging you to listen to what I'm about to tell you and even apply it to your actual everyday life. That's how important this message is. I told you. Then he writes the words, brothers, suggesting that this message is exclusively for the ears of those who have crossed over into faith in Christ by the work of Christ on the cross. This is not a message that should be tried by those who have not placed their faith in Christ. He could have said, brothers and sisters. Then he says this very important phrase, in view of God's mercy. Look at that. In view of God's mercy. What's he saying? He's saying, in view of everything that I have told you in chapters 1 through 11, in view of all that God has done for us to get us to this point, in view of the reality that we were not entitled to what he has granted us, it has been given to us by grace, in view of verses like Romans 5, 8, where it reads, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In view of the fact that God has demonstrated his mercies to us and has given us a right relationship with the one eternal God so that every single day we can wake up with hope regardless of our circumstances even though we did nothing to deserve it. In view of God's mercy pouring over us, he says, I'm going to make a request of you. The motivation for what I'm going to actually ask you to do comes out of you and me getting God's mercy on our life. Got it? Here is our first new purpose given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. He writes, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul says our new purpose in life begins with God and everything flows from that relationship. It begins with God and then God will instruct us on what we are to do and how we are to handle the other relationships in the other areas of our life. As a matter of fact, he'll begin to tell us that in chapter 12 verse 3 all the way through to the end of chapter 15. This is a very important spiritual principle that our new purpose begins with our relationship and our service to God. Now the Jewish readers would have understood the concept of sacrifice better than the Gentile readers in Rome. However, it would have been backwards to them because the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the sacrifice started out alive but ended up dead. But Paul is saying in this particular case, the sacrifice starts off dead and ends up 
alive, a living sacrifice. It's very, very different. And we know, if you've been here for the study, that what he's referring to is that we are dead to sin. But now, because of God's mercy and grace, we are new creatures, alive to God. Let me ask you a question. Which do you think is harder, being a dead sacrifice or a living sacrifice? I love the story, classic story told of a bunch of farm animals who wanted to do something nice for their farmer who had been really kind to them. So the chicken concocted a store, uh, concocted a plan to make breakfast for the farmer. And so he said, I'll provide the eggs. And he turned to the pig and said, you provide the bacon. But the pig thought about that for a moment and he said, wait a minute, for you it is only a contribution, but for me it is a total commitment. You see, I think dying for God would be very, very difficult. But I would like to suggest that living for God is actually harder. Someone said the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. (laughs) Dying for God is a single decision. Living for God is a daily decision. And I found whenever I come upon huge principles in scriptures that I can't get my mind or arms around, the best way to understand them is to listen to our children. I came upon this example because they keep it simple. In a church service one Sunday, the offering plate came to a little girl who was sitting at the end of the row. She took the plate, put it on the floor, and stood in it. When the usher asked her what she was doing, she responded, In Sunday school, I learned that I was supposed to give myself to God. That, in a nutshell, is what Paul is asking of us. I love the way John Stott puts it in his writings, the book of Romans. He writes, our feet will walk in his paths. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongue will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen. Our arms will embrace the lonely and unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distress. And our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. We are to offer up our whole body, our whole life in this daily act of worshiping God. Now this sort of sacrifice or sacrificial life doesn't make sense to the person living on this side of the Romans road. Who would ever even dare to ask that I give up my life and what I want and turn it over to a God that I can't see? About a year ago, I was touring a Haven for Hope, this incredible organization in downtown San Antonio that is serving the homeless. And the executive director was showing me around, and at one point in our tour, he said, now on this side of the campus, we have Christian organizations that serve the homeless, and on this side of the campus, we have secular organizations that serve the homeless. But he said, either way, when you do a body count, the vast majority of workers and volunteers are Christians. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, Randy, who else would have the motivation to give the best hours of their day or the best years of their life to serve someone who will likely never be able to give them anything in return? That makes a lot of sense. 
Mark my word that the vast majority of people, no matter what Hollywood tells you, the vast majority of people who are serving people who are distressed and are broken and bruised are people who have been overwhelmed by the mercy of God because it only makes sense to us. As a matter of fact, the word spiritual that he uses in verse 1, this is your spiritual act of worship. In Paul's language, in the Greek, that word can be translated reasonable. As a matter of fact, some of your translations read that way. It's basically can be read this way. It is only reasonable to live my life in this way, totally committed to the priorities of God in view of the mercies of God in my life. It only makes sense. My life was going nowhere. My life was completely lost. I didn't know that for many of my years on the Romans road. I didn't know that I didn't know, but when I came to the realization of what where I was at and that my life was heading to eternal death without any hope. And I realized that out of my hopelessness and sin, Christ provided a way by his grace and mercy to enter me into a relationship with the one true living God and every day give me eternal hope regardless of my circumstances. It only makes reasonable sense that I would turn around and give my whole life to serve a God who would do that for me. Now the question becomes, how do I do this? Well, for the, first, every time you hear me say the word do anything, add the phrase in the power of the Holy Spirit because we've learned last week that we can't do anything. It is only through the power of the Spirit that we can do it. Now look at verse 2. He tells us, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He gives us two practical action steps. I want you to notice the words conform and the word transform. First, Paul says that we need to be careful not to conform or let the world conform us or shape us. I love the way the J.B. Phillips translation reads, do not let the world squeeze you into its own mold. If Paul were here today doing a Q&A with us, based upon modern society, he would say, be careful on the influence that people you hang out with have on shaping your life and your priorities. He would say, be careful of the influence of television and the internet and Facebook and music on the shaping of your mind. You see, we watch television, a very amoral exercise, but if we are not careful, from the outside in, it'll begin to shape the way in which we see life and handle life and treat other people. Mark my word, today what you're watching on TV that seems like an outlandish thing to do, five years from now will be normative in our society. It just sneaks up on us and does that to us. Paul says, be careful not to let the world subtly shape you and mold you into the kind of person they want you to be. But then he invites us to do something positive. He says, but rather let God transform your mind from the inside out. The word transform in Paul's language is literally the word metamorphosis. And it draws the image of a caterpillar inside of a cocoon being transformed from the inside out eventually into that of a beautiful butterfly. And so it is true with us, the Holy Spirit in us, if we yield to that Holy Spirit and give ourselves to that Holy Spirit, 
will transform us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, eventually producing in us the beautiful aroma and image of Christ in our life. There's so much I'd love to tell you about the concept of renewing your mind. My professor in seminary uh, gave me this great picture to all who were in the class that day talking about this passage of scripture. He brought in a piece of steak, red meat. All the men went, and he dropped it into a, 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 a dish of teriyaki sauce and he let it sit there the entire class and he pulled it out and he says, this is what the renewing of your mind means. This piece of steak is your brain. It has now been completely saturated in the teriyaki sauce of the word of God. Every single, every single aspect of your mind has been transformed by the word of God. He encourages us here as followers of Christ not to take the word lightly, but to read the word every day, to pray the scriptures, to meditate on the scriptures. He encourages us to talk to others about the scriptures. That's why we make such a big deal every single weekend of you holding up your Bible uh, because we want you to be comfortable with this book, not just when you're here, but the other six days when you are not here so that you might saturate your mind in God's word. Why? Because God's word contains God's will. And who of us in this room doesn't want to know as followers of Christ the will of God for our life. This is where you find it. And when you discover it because you've saturated, you've renewed your mind, it's shaped the way you look at people and think about people, the way you think about life and do life, the way you handle rough circumstances, and you actually not only know it in your saturated mind, but you actually dare to test it and to prove it, as Paul says, you will then discover what the perfect will of God is for your life. Mm. That's good. I wanted to try to find um, a modern day example of a living sacrifice because that helps us, doesn't it? When we can see a real person who is seeking to be a living sacrifice. And I think I found that person. His name is Joel Tavera. Joel, at the age of 19, followed in the footsteps of his father and joined the military. In his case, he joined the army. At the age of 19, he was deported, uh, he was deployed to Iraq. Sorry. He was deployed to Iraq, and at the age of 20, one day he was in a Humvee with four other soldiers when a rocket came and blew up that Humvee. Three of the soldiers died instantly. The fourth experienced minor burns but the trauma of seeing the whole experience before his eyes. The fifth soldier, Joel, experienced severe injuries, thought to be dead, but as it turns out, is very much alive. He experienced a severe head trauma, burns over 60% of his body. He lost one of his legs, four of his fingers on his left hand. He was in a coma for 81 days. When he woke up to the reality of what had happened to him, he also was discovered that he was completely blind. This, my friends, is an unbelievable picture 
of a living sacrifice. Someone who put their whole body that day in that Humvee in Iraq to serve this country. Well, for the last uh, two years, Joel has been in recovery, and a good portion of that has been here at Bamsey in San Antonio. And every single weekend that he has been able, he has joined the family of Oak Hills in saturating his mind in the Word of God. And Joel wants to tell you a little bit of his story. Would you please welcome Joel Tavera to the stage? you may be seated. I think they would have clapped all day if I hadn't stopped them. So Joel and I have become really good friends over this week, haven't we? And uh, this is Joel's uh, last weekend with us. He's going to be going back home uh, to Tampa, Florida uh, to begin his life there. And, uh, but you've been able to do a couple things as your body's been healing. What did you do this Wednesday? I went to SeaWorld uh, for a behind-the-scenes tour. That was pretty fun. SeaWorld's behind-the-scenes tour. What did you yeah. get to do there? I got kissed by a beluga whale, and then I got to hang out with Happy Feet. You got to hang out with Happy Feet Happy and kissed feet. by a beluga whale. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Well, let's turn our attention uh, just for a moment, Joel, uh, to this whole experience that you have gone through. Um, when you first sort of came out of the coma and reality was starting to set in on the nature of your injuries. Uh, what was your initial, be honest, what was your initial reaction? Into a pretty deep like, state of depression. It was pretty bad. So I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I could either be upset and mad, which I was angry at the time, like most soldiers are, because, you know, why did this happen to me? And I realized that I still had the rest of my life to live. I'm still alive. I'm not continuing living. But I didn't actually quite at that time remember what my purpose was. Yeah. And later came to mind that I started thinking about prayer. I'm like, why haven't I prayed since I've been awake? And I started praying and the prayer lift kicked up quite a bit. And that kind of, that has been a lot to do with what's kept me going. And for God's been, he's been there with me the whole time. My family also. He's pretty much, I can put all my faith in him. He's pretty much pushed me through all the hard times. So you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, I am. And you were a follower of Jesus Christ before you even uh, went to Iraq? Yes, I was. And so what you're saying to this congregation today, that when you really needed God and you prayed to him, he was there for you? Yes, he was. He was there for you? Definitely was. And now the, the, the other soldier that is alive that didn't experience the same kind of trauma that you have is struggling, isn't he? Yes, he is. And, uh, but he doesn't have the faith. No, he does not. And you would say that faith has made the difference in your life? It's made a drastic difference. Drastic, very drastic difference. In your life. Yes, now let me, uh, uh, you, you know, now uh, in, in light of what Paul has taught us today in Romans 12, the reality is you should have been dead. Yes, it was. But you're alive. 
Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Very <much> so. <laughs> so it is your contention that if you still have life and breath in you as a follower of Christ based on his mercies, you should continue to offer up your whole body as a living sacrifice to him. That's very much true. That's very much true. I love something that I just found out this morning, uh, Joel's uh, mom told me, uh, is that uh, he has a tattoo on his uh, right arm. And uh, his whole right arm has been completely burned, but the only thing that was not burned off was the tattoo. Tell us what the tattoo is. It was a tattoo of two blades crossed in the form of a cross with a little insignia on the bottom, H-E-B, standing for Hebrews 4.12, the verse found in the Bible. Can you quote it for us? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder in the soul, spirit, and the joints and marrows and knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's pretty good, huh? It is. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. You know, it's kind of crossed between a few different versions. <laughs> learned that in seventh grade, you said, yeah, right? seventh grade, I learned that. You never know you're going to need it so, so much, did you? Well, I figured I turned 18, like most, most people my age at 18, yeah, I want to get a tattoo. <laughs> and I didn't quite get one at 18. I waited a year. Uh -huh. All my friends like, yeah, look at this nice tat. I'm like, that's cool. I'm going to get something that means something to me. Yeah. At 19, I finally got around to it. I'm like, okay, I might as well get one. They're like, what do you want? I'm like, let me get a cross. Like, what do you want? I'm like, can you put he like a little like a little insignia of Hebrews 4:12? Yeah, I could put H-E-B for you. I'm like, good. <laughs> I get to Texas and I realize H-E-B is a like a supermarket. You know? <laughs> Like, wow. <laughs> you can start doing commercials for them, man. <laughs> so, I just think that is so powerful that everything in its right arm is burnt, but that little Hebrews 4.12 is still very much there. And it's, it's your intent, Joel, to, to, uh, uh, to use the rest of your life to serve God. That's definitely. Yeah. And one cool thing about Joel um, is that uh, in that moment of darkness that he was recovering and making a decision which direction he would go, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but in San Antonio, the number one cause of homelessness or the number one group of people entering into homelessness in San Antonio are our returning vets who have not experienced any of the trauma that Joel has experienced. And they are making some very, very hard difficult choices about the trauma they've experienced. And when Joel was in the middle of making his decision about how he would handle this, and he went to God in prayer, he also wrote a song, didn't you? Yes, I did. Tell us a little bit about that. I uh, kind of started writing poetry, and at times I get random thoughts, which if you guys actually see on Facebook, I have random uh, quotes that I put on there, just feel, feeling poetic at times. And one day, it was a Saturday afternoon, it was usually a guy's day out with me and my father, Mo would hang out at the Fisher house. I actually felt inspired and told my father to grab a pen and paper and I started dictating what I was thinking at the time. And it turned out it was, the poem was enough to actually make a song of it. And I showed it to my buddy who was a local rock star in Tampa, Florida. And he said, this is enough for a song. He just read through it and we pieced it like, into different places. Like, here's a verse, here's a chorus, here's an intro, and continually. And he immediately thought of a, a rhythm to go to it. And it's it's pretty, pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. Now, yeah. the neat thing is, is that, that that rock star is even now as a result of that making some good decisions in his life. He's made a lot of good decisions in life since then. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hey, we want to pray for Joel. Was that okay? Because uh, he's got a lot of healing yet to do. 
and he's going back home to begin his life of service to his God there and all that that involves, uh, including speaking to people. He spoke to the UTSA football team. Sure did, this Wednesday week. night, Wednesday yeah. night. That That's was pretty a big cool. day, that was a big day for me. That was me. a big day, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna invite uh, Joel for you to stand. We're gonna pray for you. If you guys would stand, and if you feel comfortable extending a hand to Joel as we pray for him. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, right now we lift up your servant and child, Joel Tavera. He is an example of a living sacrifice for our country. But even more so, he is an example of a living sacrifice before you. He stands before us after all that he's gone through, and he has captured your mercies, and he has said, with all the life and breath I have in me, I will serve you. I pray for his continued healing, and I pray for the ministry that you have set before him that lives would be changed and touched for the sake of your kingdom. And all of the church said, amen. amen. Let's give Joel one more hand. Thank you, my friend. Awesome job. Mm -hmm, he is. You go ahead and have a seat. Stephen Fryer is going to play the song that uh, our good friend Joel wrote. Amazed and glorified, standing in your presence, each and every moment, I'm thankful and rejoicing. struggle and my pain You are there to rescue me again Time passes by allowing me to fly like an eagle waiting on life to surprise me Fly like 
receive the purple heart and the bronze star but he says in the song I'm waiting one day just to be with you oh wait till he hears the words well done good and faithful servant the little girl jumped into the offering basket with both feet Joel has dropped into the offering basket with both feet the only question remaining is what will we do? Paul begs us, in view of God's mercy, that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. And all of the church said, <laughs> 